1957, I received a Bible as this verse. Little did he know how I would need the encouragement, though I at the time, must confess, didn't have a whole lot of understanding as to exactly the, the setting and the significance of the verse. But here, I'll read, the, I'll read into the verse. I'll start with the verse preceding it. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Now, here was the verse that was uh, written, and I still have that Bible. Joshua 1.9 Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9 Well, God was giving to Joshua and to Israel encouragement. For there was a new generation that has come up. Moses is dead. Joshua is the new leader. They have a formidable task before them to go and do battle with the Canaanites and take the land. Encouragement. What do Luther, Calvin, Bonar, Horatius Bonar, Morgan, and Spurgeon have in common? Discouragement. Yes. Listen to these words from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said, I am the subject of depression of the spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Now, we do have a bit of a vocabulary issue here. Depression, discouragement are the same things. No, I don't think so. But I will put it this way. The discouragement is the suburbs of depression. Discouragement. It's a condition that's common to all of us. 1 Corinthians in 10 and 13. There are ample examples, and I've just given you a sampler. Israel's discouragement, facing what looked like to be an absolutely impossible task before them, the beginning of the, in the desert, and facing the conquest of the Canaanites. Ezra, chapter 6, verse 9, the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah. There is that post-exilic experience where the remnant of Jews came back after 70 years in captivity and they had to rebuild the walls and the city and what a fearsome task they had. Haggai chapter 2 verses 1 to 9. I'm going there a little later so I'll just move over that. I'm not sure if I put these in your notes or not but I'll look. No, okay. Malachi 1 and 13 is an interesting, very interesting passage where they, the, the Jews have been back in the land and for some time. It's the last of the prophets of the Old Testament, the writing prophets. And you find in 113 an indictment of the Jews in the land and boredom and discouragement. 
things weren't happening the way they anticipated. Then there's Elijah. We'll get to him in 1 Kings 19.4. That's a classic example of being on the pinnacle and dropping down into the valley of discouragement. And there's Jonah. Jonah chapter 4, verse 8. Yes, truthfully, Jonah was having one great big pity party. He's outside the city of Nineveh. He's wanted, well, he went in and he finally obeyed God to go to preach to the Ninevites. And they, lo and behold, they actually repented as a people. And there was a turnaround, and Jonah gets uh, peeved at God about the whole thing. The Lord, you recall, gave him a little bit of a cooling experience. He gave him an outdoor air conditioner. A little tree grew up. He sits under it, but then it withers away. And then in his physical distress, combined with an inconvenience, combined with a lack of love, and he is big-time discouraged. What is discouragement? It's that state of mind wherein we're tempted to quit. You can see the word discouragement. It's to eliminate the courage to go forward and do what you have to do, what we're supposed to do. It's we are tempted to quit fulfilling our responsibilities because of some disappointment. It's the loss of desire because of a loss of hope. It occurs when I'm intimidated by circumstances and become paralyzed by fear. And with this notification, walking by faith is not easy. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Acts in 14 and 22, Paul's words. It's a path that's lined with temptations and hardships. Every new believer needs to be introduced to this truth, I mean immediately. The believer who lives a life of loving service will be tempted to lose heart and throw in the towel. So here's what I want us to do. Let's walk through it with some uh, quick stepping, and then I'm going to land on a conclusion that may startle you a bit. It may be a startling conclusion in that maybe you had not thought of discouragement in the way that I'll present it in my final statement. Let's hurry up and get there. Not to discourage you, but actually will be an encouragement in this discouragement. First of all, let's consider overcoming discouragement. Well, what I mean by overcoming, I think I need to pause and always explain this. I don't mean that you, you meet it, you fight it, you beat it, and it's done, and what next? No. I mean that you know how to fight through it. As uh, we, uh, we hear from time to time, fighting for joy that you learn how to deal with discouraging circumstances. But overcoming discouragement begins with understanding and understanding of symptoms and reasons. Let's do that for just a bit. Let's see. Let me kick over a few rocks and see what crawls out here in my own heart and your heart. Let's look at some of the symptoms of discouragement. Well, there's the fear of failure. That... The possibility of not succeeding can become so paralyzing, the fear can get a chokehold, and so nothing happens. A negative negative attitude towards one's work or responsibilities. 
You can see how complaint then gets into the picture. And it's just nothing really sparkles. A critical attitude toward those with whom one works. Finding problems in other people all around me. Moodiness with a gloomy outlook on life in general. Woe to that marriage where two moody people get together. (laughs) I I just, I'm anticipating next week's message, overcoming marital problems. All right, let's get back on the road. Uh, Deteriorating job performance. Withdrawal from others and avoidance of social events. Uh, The quitting factor. Have you seen... No, I haven't seen them in, wow, it's been weeks. I think I've come to think of it, it's been several months now. Okay, maybe, maybe. Preoccupation with things of lesser importance as a means of escape. Chasing uh, chasing the um, mirages, things that come up to look like they're going to offer some relief, but they're mirages of one's own making. A cynical attitude toward those who are apparently succeeding. Reversion to old ways of behaving. And self-pity. These are a few of the symptoms, but maybe this has not gotten close enough home to us, so let's go to some of the reasons as to why discouragement, a lack of courage, a tendency, a pull to quit, a pull to get disillusioned. Let me go through some of the reasons why it can occur. First of all, wrong motives. And when our motives become primarily self-serving purposes, we set ourselves up for discouragement. In other words, why do you do what you do? In your daily routine, tomorrow, this week, or life, what's driving you? Conditional service will always prove to be a disappointment. That is, if I'm doing to... If I'm doing it for applause, for approbation, if I'm doing it for wrong motives, I'm setting myself up. Secondly, dependence on others rather than on God. When somebody else fails, I quit. Well, it's helpful to have models, heroes. They said always better be tempered with biblical realism. I recently read of some religious, a religious news reporter, actually it was more than one, a religious news reporter who became discouraged and quit the business. You know why? That it was the result of Christian organizations and pastors who would not stand up against evil in their own locality. That is, there had been some significant failures One of them was some sexual harassment, and it was on the part of a leader of an organization, sexual harassment, and the organization then begins to take up for the one guilty. And another other situation was pastors in in an area where there there was an issue which if enough of them had spoken up and taken the stand, there could have been the necessary... It could have provoked or the conscience of the Christian community, and they didn't. And this religious reporter, it was enough to make 
make him quit. Physical and emotional burnout is when I deplete my energy stores through eagerness to serve. That can certainly be a recipe for discouragement. You can get physically run down. It happens. Loss of sleep, not eating right, poor hydration, exposure to those who are ill. You're serving Christ. We are to take care of these bodies. They're temples of the Holy Spirit. We can set ourselves up for discouragement by not taking proper care. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to color this in terms of pampering ourselves. That would seem to me to be the tendency of the culture today is to pamper ourselves. But there is the other danger. The lack of self-spiritual discipline is another reason When I choose to neglect time in the Word of God, I don't pray, the tyranny, the urgent. I overlook the Word of God in prayer to get on with my day, to get things done. Ah, there is something intoxicating about getting getting on with the list and getting the things done. And good things. That's a tough one for me. But I will tell you, proneness to discouragement comes when I attempt to live without the resources God's provided. I try to live on fumes. Namely, just emotional exhilaration. Unbiblical expectations can lead to discouragement. When I set goals for myself, which do not take into account the will of God for my life, that is the moral, the revealed will of God, I create unrealistic expectations, and that can cause discouragement. I have some other items here that are not in your notes, but let me do mention the last one in your notes, and then I want to um, add a couple of things. Unrealized goals is when I don't see results. Now, here's what I'd like to put as a rider on that, namely perfectionistic tendencies. I do not doubt that in this crowd that there are varying degrees of perfectionism. Some here, I, I don't know who you would be, some of you that this is a besetting sin and it eats your lunch that everything's got to be just right well I will tell you you know the battle you fight it's discouragement can you ever be perfect (laughs) good luck with that one (laughs) Uh, perfectionistic tendencies let me mention another living in the past I pondered this a little further. That's why I offer it to you. Living in the past, that is, uh, comparing yourself with what you used to be able to do. You can discourage yourself that way. I don't know if I should hazard a guess when this may dawn upon you. We all age at different rates and in different ways. But I know that this can come with a certain season of life, namely middle age. It can what are they, what is, what, what's the, oh, the, the middle age crisis? I don't hear much about it anymore, but there was a time when it was a very popular discussion. And when you get somewhere up in your 40s, there's a little something to it, is that as you suddenly, you, it dawns on you that, wait a minute, I've lived probably over half my life and this was it. What have I done? Uh, whoa, <laughs> wham. It can bring some down. It can. Now, let me add a couple of other things. You know, I thought of my teenage friends, and I didn't know that I would have one, two, three, four, five, at least five here this evening. 
and others. I don't want to embarrass them. Six. I keep looking. Seven. Um, I thought of my teenage friends, and I remember my teenage years. I have very clear memories of my teenage years. I thought of how might middle schoolers, senior high students, how might they face discouragement? Failures in math. I know, I know a young man right now who is just having a terrible time in math and science. And you know what? He's got about three, four years, four years ahead of him. Unless you want to, now this is not to demean the job, it's an honorable work. But unless you want to collect someone else's garbage, um, you've got three or four years in front of you. And you, you're failing math, you're failing science. Rejected by the opposite sex, that can be big, really big. How do I look? What's my personality like? Do people like me? Does the opposite sex like me? For young ladies where cheerleading is important, you try for cheerleading and you don't make it. That can be big in middle school. Can it be the occasion for discouragement and be a part of other things? It surely can. Being unable to please one's parents. Teenager may have parents that the teenager's perspective may be that I just can't seem to do anything to make mom and dad pleased with me. What I do, they don't acknowledge what I don't do, they sure do acknowledge. And so there is that tension and conflict. That can be very discouraging. Living in an environment where there's constant discouragement, being provoked to wrath. Or in a class, having a teacher who can't teach. And if you're, you're a teenager, it's hard to really lobby well on that one because, you know, you may be looked upon as the one, you're the problem, but yet you may have a teacher that doesn't, and they are out there. Teachers that don't know how to teach and don't motivate. They just expect you to show up and be smart. Those were some of the things. But then I thought of some other things that can contribute to discouragement. I'm going beyond the realm of just the teenage years now. But um, these are other areas that, oh, I guess we've been in one of these at one time or another. Can't find a job. A boss who is overbearing and very critical, go to work every day in that atmosphere. Consequences of poor decisions. You've just been making bad decisions for months and years. And then, then all of a sudden, as they say, the chickens come home to roost. A struggling business. you got a business going. You're responsible for it. And it's not doing well. Not a very good profit margin. A marriage that is filled with unresolved conflict. Come back next week for that one. A messy house being disorganized. I mean, maybe your inclination is that you'd rather, you'd rather read a book and have conversations than to clean a house and have everything in its place. That can create some dilemma and some conflict. You can get discouraged. I tell you, these kinds of things are in the suburbs of depression. All right, let's go to the second one. Second issue here involved is overcoming discouragement is an invitation to view it from the outside. Let me explain myself. I want to try to get us to look back and see it. You're the counselor. You're the outsider. Or you're the one that's not discouraged, and you're looking at the person who could be. Of course, you may be 
prime candidate for it. Let me give you the, the way it can, the spiral of untreated discouragement. Let's walk through it quickly. Responsibility comes first. Namely, God has given us, each of us, various assignments which take time and energy. What do you have to do? He's given us these various assignments, loving, submitting, rearing children, providing for one's family, exercising one's spiritual gifts, showing hospitality, attending church, encouraging one another, rearing children, running errands, helping with the grandchildren, going to family functions, getting the work done, getting the work that you need to do in the summer to get ready to go to college. Um, Life in the grace lane is stressful and has its disappointments. All right? Responsibilities. We're all there. This is not an indictment. This is, an, this is just a recognition rally. What are yours? What are your responsibilities? Let's go to the second. Then disappointment. Losses and perceived setbacks. These are inevitable. So I'm not saying these... I'm not really pinpointing any moral failure here. I'm just saying this is the way it is. The disappointment may be a personal failure. It could be the failures, the sins of my children, my grandchildren, spouse, someone in the church, an officer or leader in the church, a new convert, a close friend. And then discouragement. There are degrees of this condition, but in essence, it is the loss of will to keep on keeping on. So when I'm describing discouragement tonight, I'm not saying it's an all or nothing thing. There, you can go far into discouragement. That's when you go to the next movement, which would be disillusionment. This, a disappointment may then reveal an unbiblical attitude toward a person or a project. I'm just not thinking right about it, making an idol out of it, unrealistic expectations. I've not sought God's wisdom, and I've created something that's more than I really need to be handling. Unless a biblical mindset is at work, a crash can occur. This is disillusionment. The foundations of sand have a way of collapsing. And then we go to depression. The spiral continues. Depression. This is that general feeling of hopelessness, despair that pervades one's life. This is where it's, um, this really, this is dark city. Varying degrees of depression, yes. And you look at tomorrow and there's nothing there. And then demoralization gets worse. Demoralization is can lead to a total disorder and confusion in one's life. The desire for escape by whatever means can take over. Demoralization. And then death. Discouragement can eventually lead to death. I think Christians can experience death in a useless condition, fall into a useless condition. They cease fruit bearing. Can lead to physical death. It is, it's going to be not producing good works and all of the discouragement that goes with it. Now, you know, I, I have a few pastors here tonight, um, self 
included, I guess you could say. And I, I was when I was looking at this this whole spiral effect, I couldn't help but think of the the the, the unique kinds of circumstances that can contribute to a pastor getting discouraged. Could you excuse me for a moment while I this? You say, well, it's this a little self-indulgent. But maybe at this time of life, I, could, I don't have an opportunity to speak to a pastor's conference, and there are some Christian workers here tonight. Will you allow me just a couple of minutes to alert my friends who are in pastoral ministry, or who may be? There's some who anticipate it. But pastors do have to deal with discouragement in a special way. I'll show you how. That pastors have a lot of work which um, is their goals, and you can fail to achieve those goals. You come out of seminary or Bible college or whenever you're, you're on the edge ready to go and serve Lord in the pastorate. Failing to achieve a goal. Failing to live up to one's personal convictions. You, may, you might could compromise. Being physically exhausted. Poor health. Too many pastors have poor health. Through the years, I've been to a lot of pastors' conferences, and I look around at pastors, and I think, they must be challenged in some serious ways with stamina and some discouragement from the way they physically look. Being criticized by the congregation. Oh, that one, that's a slap. Pray for Justin. He had to read all those Vision 2020 evaluations. I'm serious. I have the notebook at home. And I'm afraid to open it up. I'm, I'm a sissy here. Um, that No, they're good. They're helpful. But a pastor has got to be resilient and strong enough to say, now, wait a minute. I can't be taking everything personally. Some things I should, but some things I shouldn't. But seeing others succeed where you don't. This can be a really a tough one. Pastor, you get a church and you're just trying to keep it going and here's somebody else. And you may think, well, what's wrong? Mine's, my church is shrinking. That one is it's growing like crazy. There is satanic opposition. There are family problems, children rebelling. Pastors have some. You're not a group of pastors. All right, let me get back on the main road, but I'm mindful of those conditions. Thirdly, overcoming depression, discouragement, not depression. Overcoming discouragement is possible through the remedy of biblical medicine. All right, spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. All right, let's, let's work that way. Now, I've got a strange way of doing this. I, maybe it's not strange, but I just got caught up in the look aspect. I, oh, they're all like this. Look for the cause of the discouragement. Look for the cause of discouragement. Margaret Benton, writing on depression in an American Institute of Family Publication, said, and I quote, and the article was suggestions for decreasing depression. Well, I'm tucking discouragement into this category. She says that discouragement and depression occur when we cannot do what we want to do, cannot get what we want and need, feel guilty over something we have done or left undone, have lost 
someone we love have gone from a situation where we were um, where we were happy. To, uh, excuse me. All right, there it goes. All right, have gone from uh, from a situation where we were happy, uh, and it seems to hold no promise at this present time. When we've been hurt by someone, when we feel inferior, unloved, lonely. And as though we have nothing to offer others. The cause of discouragement then can be identified if it's handled biblically. And this is going to involve changing mind, a mindset, and an outlook. All right, secondly, look to the Lord in prayer. Look to the Lord in prayer. God's understanding and wisdom are incomparable resources. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. We bear our souls before the Lord. This has got to be a real thing, folks. I don't mean saying your prayers. I mean you're engaged with God. You're talking with him, bearing your soul. And you ask the Lord for the grace. Help me, Lord. Lord, I don't even understand why I'm discouraged. Yeah, I heard that message that the pastor preached and he went through it, but Lord, I don't, oh, I just, I can't figure, we can't figure ourselves out sometimes, can we? It's messy. I'm reminded of the parable in Luke 18, 1, where the Lord said, you ought to pray and not lose heart. It's the parable of the persistent widow who goes to the Lord and seeks him. So look to the Lord in prayer. I tell you, the Psalms can be a great help here. Oh, David, David is just struggling with issues of discouragement. His enemies, always dealing with enemies. People wanted to kill him, didn't like him, hated him. The lament psalms show us how to think our way through the dark shadows of life. We're going to do psalms this summer, Sunday night. All right. Thirdly, look, look out for self-pity and anger. Look out for self-pity and anger. Don't quit because others disappoint you. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. You keep on even if others don't. Stay with it. Feeling sorry for yourself with heavy doses of anger can ruin you. I'll tell you, the landscape, the, the landscape of uh, is covered with the corpses of Christians who had ministries and churches serving God, and something happened that became the occasion for them quitting, dropping out. Know your limitations here. That's what I mean, speaking of anger and self-pity. And... It requires no character to enjoy getting what you want. But all the character that is required when you don't get what you want, you're able to keep things in perspective. Fourth, look to a friend for encouragement. Ah, sweet friendship. God works as our burden bearer through the friendship of a fellow believer. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. Hey, do you have somebody who can help bear your burdens? It can be your spouse. But I hope it doesn't stop at that point. 
You know, Paul in 2 Corinthians 7 in verses 5 and 6 has quite a soul-revealing statement with regard to encouragement that he got from a friend, and it was the visit of Titus. Titus must have been kind of a real um, strong, reliable guy. I mean, Paul sent him down to Crete. What an assignment. And uh, Paul says, speaks of God comforting him through the coming of Titus. Barnabas, son of encouragement. So, five, look at the significance of suffering. We mustn't bypass this one. Do you have a grasp on what the Bible teaches with regard to suffering? A good theology of suffering. God's sovereignty over it. His hand in our affairs, our, the purposes for our life. Do you have a grip on this? Problems have a purpose. Paul told the Ephesian believers not to lose heart because of his tribulations. Bad news about someone and their suffering can become the occasion for discouragement. But you, do you know how to handle these things? Oh, now, I'm not suggesting that you've got a formula that you can just pull out of your pocket and you can get it and everything's all right in a minute. But I will tell you, I hope that the truth is, is that there is enough that God has shown you in his word and has taught you and that you are, you are, you have resources, the equip, you're equipped and you know how to begin to talk your way through. Like I suggested this morning in talking my way through passages on the miracles of Christ. Sixthly, look, sixthly, uh, now you don't have this one. I'm going to. I'm going to play a little game with you here. I've got six and seven and eight and a nine, and they're going to come in here. So, all right, let's just have that. I don't have time to say more than that. But I would say, look at your physical condition. Look at your physical condition. To what extent is this contributing to your propensity to discouragement, or maybe you're right in the middle of it? Do you have a lot of battles with discouragement? Maybe this centers in what's your physical condition. Do you get adequate rest? What's your sleep like? Now, it may be out of control. We can't just automatically turn it on and off to get adequate sleep. Poor eating habits. Poor hydration. No exercise. You know what I pick up on here? This is good. We won't turn there. I'll try to see if I can recall well enough to... to uh, just reference it, First Kings 19, 4 through 6. You recall at the beginning I said, I referred to Elijah. You remember the story. Elijah is, he's up on the pinnacle, and he's taking on the prophets. How many prophets of Baal were there? Was it 400? Uh, I mean, and this is, talk about what it looked like a, um, an unfair fight. And he's, he's as bold as a lion. And then we find him running off with his tail between his legs, and he runs off all the way down to Beersheba which is a pretty good trek, and he gets under a broom tree. I found one of those broom trees when we were traveling through that part of the country in, back in 81. I thought I would just mimic it, so I found the broom tree and got there. Right, this picture, so what? Uh, but there was Elijah. I could picture what it was like, and, and there was Elijah. But you know what really strikes me about the way the Lord worked with Elijah when Part of his condition, now he had some attitude issues that are addressed a little later on, and I'm not dealing with those. But you know, it's an interesting feature. 
that this tender shepherd of Israel, the Lord who is the Lord over Elijah, that, you know, Elijah had written out his resignation and signed it and turned it in. And the Lord just ignored it. And what did the Lord do? What did the Lord do but to um, feed him, to um, bread and water show up, and he eats it, and he goes to sleep, and then he's awakened, and the Lord said, would you eat again? Because the Lord saying, you need to eat, you need to eat. The Lord, the tender shepherd of Elijah, and giving him, giving him the necessary rejuvenation. And it can happen. Late nights, crisis living, tension-filled personal relationships here. <laughs> pastors, pastors, you hear me? This can take a toll on you. When you're dealing, you're going from one crisis to the next. And you may just be flying along and exhilarated. And then all of a sudden, you just sit, find yourself just, ooh, you're just, it's, it's terrible. I have a little story I was going to tell you, but it's, nope, I'm about out of time. I've got, all right, let's go to the others. I'll, I'll breeze through. Uh, I don't know, whatever it is. Look at, uh, look at what you have to do and do it. That's one of my remedies. It's some medicine for discouragement. Look at what you have to do and do it. Do the next thing. Now, there is an excellent uh, line of thought here. I'm accelerating a little bit, but Haggai chapter 2, verse 1 to 9 is just beautiful here, where God is to encourage Israel through the prophet Haggai because the building progress, uh, progress is just, it's, the wheels have come off, and the Lord tells them that you need to take heart, be encouraged. And one of the things that he does is to say, it's the, the verb that's used there, it's right at the bottom of the page on the, on the Bible that says, work, work. What you got to do? Do the next thing. That's not everything, but it sure can help. It's better than just just getting a fetal position, sucking your thumb. <laughs> Work. What do you got to do? What's the next thing? That can be part of it. And the promises of God come out as well in that situation. All right, that's what I would say next. I would add that one. Look at the promises of God, of God's enablement. It's Haggai 2.4. I just have to reference it. We don't have time to look at it. God's enablement. Yes, hold on to that. And also, look out for unrealistic expectations. I've mentioned those, but there's, a, there's an interesting ax, uh, angle on this in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 4. Because they were discouraged. Part of the reason for their discouragement is they had come back and they were building the temple. And it didn't look pitiful. Because some of them, you know, had remembered, they remembered what Solomon's temple looked like. Whoa, it was grand, fantastic. Taj Mahal of temples. It was grand, and now they were looking at this pitiful little structure they had built, and they were discouraged. But you know what the Lord tells them? In so many words, the, 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 that the point the Lord makes with them through the prophet is that God was satisfied with a house of less beauty. Oh, you are? Yes. The Lord said, I don't have to have a grand, quote-unquote, house. And that that's all that really matters. You see how this fits in here, why I say that unrealistic expectations. Sometimes we can so establish a goal for ourselves that it is really beyond what is God's intention. It may be off our own gift chart. 
You know, you have natural gifts, you have spiritual gifts. And you, you may think more highly of yourself, I may, than I ought to. And maybe I don't have the gifts and all that to try to be there. Wait, pull back. Now, this is not a plea for mediocrity. <laughs> but, you know, max your gifts, be faithful. But I'm just taken with what the Lord was doing for Israel there. So I don't have to have a beautiful, elaborate I'm The Lord's saying, I'm satisfied. You be satisfied. Okay? Be content. And then, all right, here, okay, here's the last point. Ah, and it's a big one, too. It's so good. I, I need another message for this one. Let me, let, let's have at it just for a couple of minutes. Um, Look at Jesus and his own, this is the surprise. Maybe it doesn't surprise you, but anyway. Look at Jesus and his own struggle with discouragement. What? Jesus discouraged? He was a theological superman. If anybody had it all together, let me show you something. Look in Isaiah chapter 49 verse uh, Verse 4. I'll spring off this. I don't have, this is one of those servant songs that we did. We did in our Sunday school class, did in the men's class about a year ago before we started the Gospel of Mark. The servant songs, that's Isaiah 49.4. Oh, I love these servant songs. And these are where we have the servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. These are words in his mouth before his advent. And... In these songs, we find we, we get in a tremendous amount of knowledge about what Jesus thought, what he struggled with. Uh, wow, the, the pinnacle of these is Isaiah 53. But look at this Isaiah 49 and verse 4. It's, it's striking. Look at this. He says, and I'm having to jump right into the movement of thought, but here, let me get verse 3. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel. Speaking of the Lord, but using that, I don't have time to explain why he speaks of it in that way. But in whom I show my glory. But I said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord. That's huge. Did you know that the Lord Jesus struggled with discouragement? Think about it for a minute. That Jesus, he he had a human soul and human emotions. He was a man. He said in John 12, 27, my soul is troubled. John 13 and 21, troubled in his spirit. John 11, 35, he wept with sorrow over the death, death of Lazarus. Hebrews 5 and 7, he, with loud cries and tears, he struggled. Secondly, Jesus struggled with discouragement in his earthly ministry. He had to deal with frustrations and feelings of futility. Think of it for a minute. Crowds begin to thin out. You find this in John 6 and 67. The people begin to peel away. You know, he reached the zenith of his popularity, but then it began to wane. He faced rejection, unbelief, prejudice, and misunderstanding. We find him in Luke 9 and 41 and saying, How long? 
He was grieved by his disciples, their failure to understand Mark 8 and 21. He, he foresaw the falling away of the core group, Mark 14, 27. He saw those that I've really have counted on are going to peel off and leave me all alone. And when he died, what had he accomplished? To all appearances, nothing. That by every measure of the world, his life had been futile. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Take these seriously. Jesus was not just kind of mimicking it so that we think, hey, I didn't go through this, but for your sake, this is what I've, here it is. No, he struggled. However, in the servant struggle with discouragement, get this. If I've disturbed you with these things, get this, get this. However, the servant struggled with discouragement. In this struggle with discouragement, he did not sin. Jesus knew he was. He knew why he had what he had come to do in Hebrews and 4 and 15. He trusted God. You see this in Isaiah 49, 4. Yet surely, he says, though he struggled with his sense of failure, thinking that, have he, has he achieved anything? Have I been successful? So what do we learn from this? I, I, I leave it, I'll leave it with this. You know what we ought to do, therefore, taking our Savior as the model for dealing with discouragement? Well, there's got to be an immediate turn in our thinking to the settled truths about God. Get there. Get there. Get yourself on a spiritual IV. You're discouraged. You want to throw in the towel. You want to quit. Think you're a failure. What's my life? It's counting for nothing. Make a, a, a hasty path for these settling truths about God. Turn to Him. Secondly, don't stand away from God. Stand with Him. Jesus said, My God. My God. See that pronoun? My. And revisit the truth that the work to which God has called us can never be a failure. Obey God. And our satisfaction and contentment must come from doing the will of God, not from apparent results. We can be our own worst enemy. We Put, we think, these are the results that I should be getting. But am I obeying God? Am I, being, am I getting up and going about his work joyfully each day, fighting for joy and serving him and pleasing him? I will not say that you would never have to experience discouragement, but I will tell you this, that discouragement in and of itself is not sin. It's how you handle it, working through it. I apologize. This has been a... This has been like running the 100 meters here in 10.2. But uh, I wanted you to get this, this, this wonderful truth, that how Jesus himself dealt with, with discouragement. I hope it will help. And uh, we will take questions, but let's just pray for us. God, I do pray for that. There may be one here tonight, Lord, who he or she... Is not willing to admit it in a group or to anyone else, but Lord, a sense of failure and discouragement 
could just be gnawing away at their joy and contentment. Oh, Lord, meet them. Meet them. May they find you, Lord, to be their satisfaction, their joy, their comfort, their encouragement. And, Lord, for all of us, renew our courage. Renew our courage to stand bold and strong for you, no matter what the cost. So help us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.